Hi, this is Pastor Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for joining our podcast. We're walking through the book of Luke, thinking about what it means to follow Jesus, to see the world the way he does, and to integrate his patterns into our life. I hope you enjoyed the sermon today. I also wanted to point you to the description section where you can find the church's website. We would love for you to visit our church and consider investing in our ministry. There's two other links. One is a podcast that I do with a therapist at Renew Church, and we kick around issues like dating, mental health, and friendships. And lastly, there's a children's book series and a journal that I wrote with my wife and my mentor, and we'd love for you to look at those resources as well. Thank you so much for being a part of the Renew Church family, and I hope that you enjoy the sermon today. God bless. All right, I'm excited to uh, share God's word with you this morning. We do have a tradition, if you're, if you're a first-time visitor, where we break off into small groups during our time together. And a big part of that is we really value your thoughts and your story. We're, we believe that you're here with the people around you to be ministered to by them and to minister to them. And so the question today, I uh, hope it's interesting to you. I didn't know how to word this more concisely, but... Is there anything that you had a difficult time understanding about yourself? All right? Is there anything that you had a difficult time understanding about yourself? So go ahead, break off into groups of two or three. We'd love for you to meet a new person. And then I'll come back in five minutes and we'll go into the book of Luke together. All right, welcome back, everyone. Go ahead and turn up my mic. <laughs> Check one, two. We'll give you more time to talk. I'm really glad you uh, were able to engage with the people around you. So when I think about something that I had a really hard time understanding about myself, I think about the phrase, uh, what's what's the phrase? (laughs) Preaching death. Has anyone heard of preaching death? You haven't because I made it up. And um, it's to describe an era of my life at Renew a few years ago where I would finish preaching due to benediction. And I, I told people that it felt like when I was stepping off of stage, I, I was falling off a cliff. And I didn't know when I was, la- when I was landing that um, there was a sense of depression. My soul felt really heavy. And I just, in some ways, for the first time, hated preaching. All my life, I wanted to preach, but for those years, it just, every time I preached, it took me like 24 hours, two days to recover emotionally. And I didn't know what was wrong. I didn't know why that happened. All I know was I was probably really discouraging to Ben because he would, he would say bye after we cleaned up. He was like, hey, great job today. See you next Sunday. I was like, yeah. <laughs> That's in seven days, you know? It's coming up again, and he just, he just pushed through it with a smile, so I appreciated him. I didn't, know why, I didn't know why I felt preaching death, but I knew that I would just get blindsided by these emotions, that it felt like I got punched in the face by depression. And I wonder if you felt taken over by emotion before, and you didn't know why, you were confused by it walking into a social setting and feeling anxiety or um, having a good time, but all of a sudden you hit, you're hit by a wave of sadness. Or maybe, maybe you just constantly 
feel like you're not good enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not smart enough. You're an imposter. There's aspects of our life that maybe we don't understand the way we wish we did. And also aspects of our life that are hidden. You know, we present a certain way. I step on stage and I'm funny and I tell stories and I seem super casual when I preach. And then there's that whole other side of me, right? That's like very few people are privy to. But I'm, I'm like wrestling with depression. And I wonder what are the dislocations of your life where there's something you're presenting or there's a picture on Instagram, but then there's this other side of you that just feels so distant from how people see you. What I love about this passage in Luke chapter 8, verse 16 to 18, is it's speaking about how the word of God is light. And if we allow the light to shine into our hearts, it actually shows us more of who we are and who God is and how the two come together. This is a continuation of Luke chapter 1, Verse, sorry, Luke chapter 8, verse 1 to 15, where Pastor Dave shared about how the word of God is a seed and the sower is generous. It's scattering the word of God into many hearts. The seed is consistent, the sower is consistent, but it's the hearts that are the variables. Some receive it with joy, some allow it to die on the road. And depending on where your heart is, the word of God takes root or it dies. And now he transitions into the word of God being a light as a metaphor and says, no one lights a lamp and hides it in a clay jar but puts it under, or puts it under a bed. Instead, they put on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. For there is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed and nothing concealed that will not be known or brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever does not have, even what they think they have will be taken from them. Today, we're just going to go one verse at a time. We're going to talk about those three verses. And then we're also going to dive into other passages where light is used as a metaphor. So next slide. What, the, what is the light and what does light do? Well, the passage talks about how useless it is to buy a light bulb and throw it under your bed or into your closet. Well, it depends on how big your closet is. Or into your dresser, right? That the light is meant to illuminate, is meant to expose. And the word of God is doing the same thing. As we engage with God's word, we see more of who we are. And it gives sight to everyone who draws near it. There's a generosity to the light. And it exposes our hidden self. In verse 17, in this exposure, he says that nothing hidden will not be disclosed. Nothing concealed will not be made known or brought into the open. So what is the word of God exposing? Some of the deepest parts of who we are. It exposes our deepest desires. I think about the rich young ruler who went to many rabbis asking, how do I obtain eternal life? And you're listening to him and believing that what he wants most is eternal life. What he wants most is learning from different rabbis how to have eternal life, but then he gets exposed. And as Jesus offers him eternal life in himself, what the rich young ruler started to understand is that his deeper desire was wealth. 
He wasn't willing to let go of his deeper desire for wealth for his lesser desire for eternal life. It exposes our sin. The woman at the well asked for living water, which again is Christ. And he says, go and call your husband. She says, I have no husband. And then Jesus says, you are right when you have no husband. In fact, you have had five husbands, and the, woman, the man you are now with is not your husband. But as her sin is being exposed, she actually leans in and lets go of, of her broken cistern that can hold no water for Christ, who is living water. We, Jesus also, and the word of God, also exposes our hypocrisy. He describes the Pharisees as whitewashed tombs, clean on the outside, but rotting on the inside. He quotes Isaiah where he says, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. That there's a disconnect and distance between who they actually are and how they present themselves to be. I remember when I was wrestling with preaching, preaching death, um, and talking to the Lord about that, he just started exposing those parts of my heart. He started untangling other motivations and desires for why I preach. I want to share God's word, but I also want to be liked. I want you to learn about God, but I also want you to laugh at my jokes, right? Really badly. And, um, and I would go home, and no matter how I did in my sermon, I'd be like, but that one joke didn't land, you know? And, and it start, God started showing my deepest desires of performance, of wanting the lamblight. And, and that, that there was a part of that desire that was pulling me toward depression. He showed me my sin. I had such an independence to preaching the word of God. I leaned on my own strength so heavily. I would wake up at uh, 4 a.m., in the morning on Sundays and start practicing my sermons from 4.30 through 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 a.m. And by the time I stood on stage, I had gone through my sermon like five to seven times, and I was actually completely exhausted. My, adrenal, my adrenaline was shot. I was emotionally fatigued. I didn't want to see anyone. And then when I got on stage, I kind of did it one last time, but my desire to perform well, my desire for excellence actually made me preach in a weary, depleted way. I wonder if you have a, have a heart for excellence, but the way you're working and obsessing over your job makes you worse at it. That was me. That was my sin. I was leaning on myself to preach God's word. I had a high view of my ability. Instead of thinking about my role is to communicate clearly, but I have no power over whether your soul changes, whether your desires are reoriented to the Lord, whether you're going to repent or feel convicted or believe. Those are all outside of my scope and abilities. But instead of leaning on the Lord for that and knowing that he's doing the heavy lifting, I woke up at four o'clock. Um, and then I saw my hypocrisy. I saw the disconnect between um, where I wanted to be spiritually and preaching and where I actually was. And so I had this view that I wanted to preach kind of from a spiritual high, like a camp preacher or at a retreat. You know, I wanted to be at this place spiritually and preach. 
But God started revealing that I'm actually digging a ditch to build a mountain. That I'm digging an emotional and spiritual ditch on Sunday afternoon and evening and Monday in order to preach from this artificially spiritual place. And he said, why don't you just walk on stage on even surface and believe that I love you, forgave you, and called you to be this part of the body? There was that hypocrisy in me. So that's why over the last six weeks, by the way, um, I decided to not preach. We've had so many great speakers from our church because it's only when I get these extended breaks that I, I feel like I know where I am spiritually, that I'm not performing, and I'm like, oh, here's my bedrock. You know, here's where I am when I don't have to present anything. And then we also just have amazing preachers. Pastor Dave's sermon last week was Man, so good. I was walking up with communion. I just want to be like, his sermon was so good. And I looked down like, oh, yeah, and Jesus. So I decided just to go with communion. But I was amazed. And then um, Kevin, Dr. Ken, Irwin, Chrissy, you guys are blessed to have great preachers. And I'm blessed to have space to work on my own soul. Next slide. Light exposes what's already there, but do you want to see it? You know, I've been uh, touring different office spaces with, with uh, Sherry. We're, we're moving from Ambassador. And the, we went to kind of a semi-ghetto location, but, you know, lower price point. And um, <laughs> this is a hyperbole. But imagine walking in there, and I turn on the lights, which is already not true because the lights didn't work. But I turn on the lights, <laughs> and there's, like, mold in this corner. Rats are running through. And then a dead body in the corner, right? And I'm like, Wow. This place has history and character. Um, and instead of being like, maybe we shouldn't use it or we have a lot of cleaning to do, I'm just like, I'll just shut off the lights. You know, then it's not there anymore. We could worship and we'll always have an extra person. You know, we'll feel the tingles of the spirit or rats, but you know, it's similar. Um, we could just turn off the lights. And I, I wonder when the Lord uses his word to convict, convict our hearts, if we are just turning off the lights, if we feel offended, if we run away, and if we just say, man, I'm just going to turn off the lights. I wonder if we do that once in a while. That's what John chapter 3, verse 19 to 21 says. This is the verdict. Light, being Jesus here, has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Anyone who does evil hates the light and does not want to come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen clearly that what they had done had been done in the sight of God. We've all felt that, haven't we? I know I have. I've felt moments in my life where I'm doing ministry, reading the word, but there's something I'm hiding. There's something I don't want to show the Lord. There was a period in my life where I loved poker because it's not gambling, it's a skill-based game. That's what I would tell people at least. And... Um, 
I was playing at a very high level. So I'm playing like I've seen pots worth $10,000. I've participated in that or, you know, my buy-ins, 500 to 1,000 rebuying. And I just had this deep addiction toward gambling-skill-based games. <laughs> and, um, and I was hiding that from the Lord. I didn't want the Lord to see it. Or when I did bring it in front of people, I would use spiritual language. One of my friends was trying to convict me of this. And, I, and then I tried to give him 10% of my winnings for his mission trip. You see that? You see how I did that? And he took it. He took it. Yeah. Yeah, he stopped, he stopped convicting me because I gave him money. Yeah. <laughs> I got too excited. I forgot my next point. And so there's, way, there's moments in our life where we, oh, my next point was, it's been 15 years since I've been addicted to gambling and your tithing is safe. That was my next point. <laughs> uh, is there anything that you're, that you're hiding where the light's shining and you're running? Because let me tell you, there's something really beautiful about seasons of your life where you're the other person. You live by truth. And you step into the light, even as it's exposing uh, those parts of you that are broken, which we all have. But you lean into it. And, and those moments, those seasons of our life where we just put our whole life in front of the Lord and we're saying, there's nothing I'm hiding. There's nothing I'm holding on to. My life is yours. So I'm not scared of the light. I'm, there's nothing that I'm trying to hold on to. When you have that one master, one Lord perspective on your life, there is a freedom and peace and joy there. Maybe you're in that time now, or maybe you can remember back to it, where you're not serving two masters, and you just keep stepping into the light of the Lord. People have described God's light as one that feels enveloped with love forgiveness, and healing as it's convicting your sin. As it's exposing the things in your soul, you feel the light also healing and loving you because the light is Christ. The light is him speaking over you. The light is Jesus forgiving you already and saying, I want to meet you there. I hope that you might be called into that place again. In the next, the last part of this passage, it says, therefore, consider carefully how you listen. I love that so much. Some of us grew up at church. Many of us are PKs. We have a collection. Um, We need to start a a therapy group for you guys. And uh, some of you guys go to Biola, and this is like your fourth sermon this week. And I I think about this little phrase, consider carefully how you listen, not if you're listening or what you're taking in, but, but taking a step back and saying, as I come before God's word today, how am I listening to it? Because we can listen recklessly. We can listen like the heart on the path with a hardened heart. Like I've heard this already. I know this. I've, gone, I've, I've studied this. We could come in with a divided heart, 
okay, I'm hearing what the word says, but there's all these other truths that's competing against it. There's all these other priorities that I actually want more. We could come in with a heart that's shallow, that faith isn't deep and isn't tested. And when hard things come, we let go of the Lord. When we do that, it says even what they think they have will be taken away. Have you, I felt that. I felt in my gambling addiction how like shaky I was when I first started playing, how I felt the Lord convict me, how the 1-800-GAMBLER sign was like, you know, it's just like a small sign, but God would just blow it up. It's like everywhere I looked, all I saw was 1-800-GAMBLER, right? The Lord was convicting me, but I just kept pushing through that conviction. I let my heart continue to callous until I started celebrating my sin and bribing my friends with money to not say anything. Have you felt um, these things that you had, like God convicting you of sin, start to wane and become blunted because you're not listening? Or just even just your love for him start to fade away because your heart's divided, wanting another lover. And then there's the careful listener. That when we step back, we see a heart that's humble, that's easily convicted, that wants to repent because we love Jesus the most, a loyal heart, a submissive heart. Again, that space where we say, God, my whole life is laid in front of you. I I can lean into the light because I'm not hiding or holding anything back. When we do that, Something pretty amazing happens. Let me go to the next verse. You see, Jesus in Mark chapter 5, he uses the same metaphor of light. And he uses the same ridiculous illustration of not putting light under a basket, but on a lampstand so that it shines. But here, the light isn't the word of God. He says, you are the light of the world. That this light, as we let it expose and heal and, and shine in us, it actually, we start to reflect it out of us as well. And we become light to others. We're able to heal and love and bring other people to, to the Lord. You are the light of the world. A city on, the, on a hill cannot be hidden Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on a lampstand, and it shines on all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see the good works you do and praise your Father who is in heaven. On the next slide, um, there's so many people in this room that got to table last week at Cal State Fullerton, but these are people who came out and have graduated who are married, who are young adults, and they ventured into a college campus, which is always scary. Um, And then they went out with us, which is amazing, right? It's amazing. And and I'm always motivated to table on campus because right across from me, I see a cult called Alpha and Omega. And they're like why I show up, Um, and Jesus. But they're also why I show up. (laughs) Because people who are interested in God walk there 
and hear about a false gospel, a gospel that you have to earn your salvation for. You have to be baptized at their church to be truly saved. They start cutting people off of their family and friends and start to insulate them into just their cult or church. And um, there was this girl who I, I pulled out many people from that cult when I was working on campus with Epic. And there's this girl who joined um, Epic. I was like, you're in a cult. You know, I got, I got like shorter and shorter with it, right? I'm not like really... I just wrote, oh, okay, that one. Okay, you're in a call. They're going to cut you out of your parents. They're going to make you confess your sins at the 10th meeting. And then if you leave, they'll blackmail you. Do you want to be in my thing? Because it's way better, right? So I was like, it, it got fast. It got really fast. And um, so I did that talk with her, and she believed me. So she joined Epic, and she joined us for four years. And she was a great, like, sister in the Lord. Every half a year, she would stop me, and she would say, Wilson, thank you so much for pulling me out. And in my mind, I gave her like the super abridged version (laughs) that cost me 45 seconds. But if she went the other way, if she kept going with them, her life would be different. Um, Barna says that 70% of high schoolers who enter into college as professing, professing Christians will have little or no faith after they graduate. That's also why I show up. I show up because Kevin met a person who never really went to church, but he recently lost his family member. So he started praying for the first time and experienced a lot of peace from the Lord. He believes there's a God, but he's never been a part of a church, and he's interested in Renew and Crew. We had 20 uh, college students come to our Renew Bible study. We love uh, InterVarsity, we love Destino, we're always promoting them. I'm wondering if God is calling you to be a light in the next couple weeks um, and table with us. But wherever you are, God's calling you to shine. At your occupation, in your classrooms, with these students who um, are looking for attention and love, in your offices, in your families. How can we, as God transforms us, reach out to others? I have just one more story, and then we'll go into communion and prayer. I was at Royal Family Kids Camp uh, a a few months ago with a a bunch of other counselors. We had a great time of them sharing sharing stories. Again, an invitation to be a part of that. And my kid, his name, I'm just going to call him Z. Um, Great kid, wonderful smile, loved, loved other kids, hung out really well with them, played hard, you know, I just, I just really cared about this, this kid. It was his first time at camp. But there is a switch, and when that switch goes off, his face changes, and he just stomps out just the other way. And we've learned just to keep our distance, let him kick some stuff, and then he resets and comes back. And it's really not a big deal. But at everyone's birthday, like one of the funnest days of the year, he's walking down the stairs, and there's this huge field of games and, and blow-ups, and the kids are just, like, rushing it, right? Like a horde of Walmart shoppers on Black Friday. Like, they're just rushing it. People are dying. They don't care. So they're running to all these inflatables, and one of them is a foosball one where you're like, it's, it's just terrible. So many fights came out of that one, and um, I hope they don't. I, was, I wanted to, like, stab it and just, like, it, 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 the ball went into the, went to, to the lake, right? or the river, so, so I threw it there, and then we ended that game. Um, anyways, he got set off there, but this time he wasn't willing to leave. 
he, because of, you know, all the things that he could do. And he was just, just angry and still trying to be there. But it just kept escalating. And he would walk up to people and just yell right in their face. He yelled at Esther, one of our church members, right in her face. And she yelled back because she thought it was a game. Um, and then there was this little girl uh, that, he, that he yelled at, and she was fully traumatized. She just kind of collapsed in and cried. I tried to stand between them, but it was too late. Um, this went on for about an hour. And then finally, we went up to chapel. He calmed down. And I remember Katie sitting with him right behind the stage. And I was to their left. And I was like upset and triggered and mad at him. But, God's, but I just felt like almost the voice of the Lord say, if he didn't go through what he went through, he wouldn't have that switch. Like, he went through so much trauma and possible abuse, and he's just trying to stop whatever's going on in his past life. But if he didn't have to go through that, that wouldn't even be there. And I remember just crying um, during worship. Later, Casey told me that my head counselor said Katie's conversation was really sweet. Um, he felt like he wasn't accepted for most of his life. And when he got angry, just everyone would walk away. But he said, I finally believe that my counselors accept me. Because when I was really mad, they didn't leave. Um, the next morning, he, he's in a great mood. And we're sitting in cafeteria on a round table. And I really wanted him to apologize to that girl. So I, I leaned over at him with a lot of fear. <laughs> you know, I don't want to set him off. I was like, hey, Z. You don't have to do this. It's totally up to you. Maybe it's not even important. But uh, when you got mad the other day, like, you really hurt this girl. She got scared. And I'm wondering if you'd apologize to her. And he looked at me and he said, I've been thinking about that. So I go to the girl counselor right uh, in the next table. And I'm working out with, with uh, Kelsey. Like, is she OK? Because she's been like hiding from him. Uh, can we create a safe space? So we're working out the logistics. And then I see him stand up with like four other dudes from my table, walk up to her, and just with the most sincere posture, apologize. And then she looks up and she says, like, it's okay. No, I forgive you. And they walk back to their table. That night was our last night at camp. And uh, the other Katie, she gave us an opportunity to pray for our, for our kid kiddos. And they had all these different lessons hanging on the wall from each day, Bible lessons through the life of Joseph. And so I was like, hey, uh, Z, which one can I pray for? And one says, God helps me forgive others. He said, I, w I want, I want uh, you to pray for that. I could tell he had already changed and opened up so much that day. Other chapels, he's like screaming or trying to distract everyone. But this one, he was fully engaged. And I was like, Z, who can I, who do you want to forgive? And he said, I really want to forgive my mom. And then he just kind of bent over a little bit. And I said, um, what do you want to forgive her for? And he just started crying. So I put my arm over him. And we prayed that God would help him forgive his mom. And I talked about how God forgives him. 
And I think about this kid who went through so much, but whatever light that God shown him, he stepped into. He fought through to forgive, to ask for forgiveness. I, I hope that we can open up our hearts the way that Z did and just say, God, whatever you're bringing into my heart, um, help it to land on a heart that is humble. God says, when we take what he's given us, more will be given. We'll have even more. And I just see in Z's life more truth invading his heart and changing who he is. Today, today, as we take communion together to close our time, I think about what Paul says. Um, while we take, oh, there's uh, cups over here, by the way, if you didn't get one. <clears throat> Here's what Paul says. He says, so whenever you eat the bread or drink the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, uh, will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of, of the Lord. Anyone ought to, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. I know it's a stern passage, but I wonder if communion every Sunday will bring us back to a place where we're saying, God, how am I listening to your word? And how am I following you? Because you died for me. Like you shed your blood and broke your body for me. And what does it look like for me to then hear your word and approach you? So today as we take um, communion, will we examine our own hearts and examine how we're listening to the word? Let's spend a few minutes in prayer and then we'll take communion together. God, for those of us who say that you're our savior, who believe that you died for our sins, I pray, Lord, as we take communion today, that we would just look at our hearts and see how ridiculous it is to be apathetic to a God who died for us, to be uncaring of our sin, or to serve someone else. I pray that today as we remember how much you love us, through your body being broken and your blood being shed, we would be reminded of our call to love you too. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for joining us today. We're really grateful that you'd spend time listening to the sermon series. And we also wanted to point you to a few other resources. My wife and I wrote a children's book collection helping kids bridge their faith with God's calling in their life as a businessman, as a doctor or nurse, and as a creative. Secondly, we wrote an adulting journal, which helps young adults think through this transition into adulthood, whether it's transitions in friendship, family, faith, or calling. 
And lastly, I want to point to a podcast that myself and another church member, Roy Kim, who's a therapist, co-host together. It's called The Same Boat. We talk about relationships. We just finished um, a series on dating. We think back to an English ministry church, and we just tackle all kinds of topics that are relevant to our life. I hope that uh, those resources enrich your life as well. And lastly, if you're looking to partner with us, on our website, we have a give section. You could give to our general fund and continue to serve our church through, um, through partnering with us financially. But if you scroll down, we have quite a few local missionaries that have called Renew Home. If you read their bio, there's also a section to give to each one of our local missionaries. We hope that all of them would be fully funded going into this year. God bless you. Thanks so much for being with us and uh, hope to hear, hope to uh, have you join us again.